Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to What Women Want with Amy and Ed. This is the first show of this series. Thank you so much for tuning in. What Women Want is a show where I and great comedians share our stories and talk about and find the funny in the misadventures, misunderstandings and misogyny involved in being a woman. In every show, we look at the misunderstandings people have about what women want. And when it comes to misadventures, it's a place to share I personally have long wanted a place to share things like the fact that I recently accepted a seat on public transport, despite not being pregnant, to avoid the awkwardness for all involved, before realising I've actually never considered how pregnant people sit, and they're not being sure how to make it look right. Misogyny will come up too. It always does. I have had so many important conversations with my friends and families over the years that have changed the course of my life. Conversations that some would dismiss as gossip, or that most British of phrases, a mother's meeting. I want to celebrate these kind of conversations, and so, over the past three years, I've been hosting What Women Want as a live comedy conversation show. We have been all over the UK, with a different lineup of comedy guests each time and different topics. We've been recording the show since the audiences started getting in touch, asking if they could hear the show again, and it is my true pleasure to be bringing these shows to the wider ear of the internet now. Every episode goes the same way each time. The guests and I will take turns to respond to the topic at hand before I ask them all a load of questions. This show and every show is meant to be the beginning of a conversation. Like women themselves, each topic contains multitudes we won't get to, but that doesn't mean they're not valid. What Women Want is an inclusive show and joyfully and purposefully includes trans women whenever we say women. In this episode, we are looking at what women want is independence. I loved recording this show back in November 2017 at the Soho Theatre. I'm joined by two of my dear friends and my boyfriend, which becomes apparent in quite a big way when I start asking about relationships halfway through. Let's join Lolly Adifope, Desiree Burge and Nish Kumar now to find out what women want. (laughs) 
Um, so the theme of the show, sorry, the theme of the show is independence, and the format of the show, for those who haven't seen this before, is we each respond to the sort of subject, what women want is to be independent. And that can be a personal response or a more sort of general response. It's whatever you feel when you hear that word. And then I'm going to be asking them some questions. Uh, and then that's, that's it. So um, <laughs> but it's a, we're going to cover a lot of ground, but of course, as I said, there'll be ground we don't cover. I do want to hear from you, so please get in touch. But let's begin. So I go first because... I, this was my idea. Um, <laughs> I will go first. Um, thank you. I didn't expect a clap, but I do think I deserve one. So, um, so when I think about the conversation around independence, it, it really it's an interesting thing because I feel like it's very obvious that it's a sort of capital G, capital T good thing. Like, of course it is a good thing. And more than a good thing, it's very much what I think a lot of the time when you sort of distill it down, previous feminists movements have been about. And a lot of it is about your mental appreciation of the word independence, I believe. So there's obviously there's physical aspects to it, there's legal aspects to it, but a lot of it when it comes, and feminism is often quite theoretical, but sometimes that's its problem, sometimes that's its benefit, is that a lot of it is just about a new point of view. And so I find it really interesting because when you think about the history of women, independence is the one thing that it's quite new when it comes to it. Like, in 1975, until 1975, you still needed your husband to sign off if you wanted to get a bank account. And it wasn't until 1991 that women were taxed separately to their husbands. So this is all very new. We're still living in the repercussions of these changes. So independence is, financial independence especially, is often what we think of when we talk about feminism. And actually, I find it interesting, though, because it's not just financial independence, sometimes it's much more about what you think you're capable of or what's accessible to you. And my VFM, my very feminist mother, um, has <laughs> previously remarked that uh, there's something... OK, I know she means this as a compliment, but see what you think about this. What I like about your generation of feminists uh, is that you don't mind being unattractive. <laughs> um, she means it from the bottom of her heart, in the best intention. Um, but in fact, what she means by that is that when she was at the vanguard of the gender revolution, she still felt like she had to be ladylike. She still felt, even though she was saying things, doing things, there was still a pressure within that movement to be ladylike and to be accessible and to be uh, appreciated by others within that sort of force. And I think that is something that's very nuanced and sometimes hard to specifically talk about. But when we start talking about things like Weinstein, and we read about the things that women felt they were expected to do. No one necessarily specifically said, you must do this, sometimes they did, but there's an expectation. It's that weird power struggle within the expectation. What do I expect to do to get ahead? Why is progression equal now to sort of submission to a certain amount of weirdness and horribleness? And is that in part because you can be an independent female <laughs> as much as you like, but you're still working within these systems that have, are really entrenched. And if the only thing... I don't like the idea that to be independent is to reject. I think it's sad that the idea that to be successful and independent, you have to remove yourself from the world because that's the only way to get yourself out of those systems. So I want to talk about that. And finally, from a more personal level, when I was at university, I had a friend, friend, male friend, who kept calling me independent, but he kept saying, 
you're so independent. God, you're, you're so independent. And I was like, I do not think this is a compliment. Like, I, you, nothing about the way that you're saying it, your eyes even, full of hate, full of hate. And it was this weird thing where I was like, I'm taking this as a compliment, but I know you don't mean it that way. And so I'd love to understand like, where that sort of comes from. And sort of finally, and obviously it's a privilege, I should finish with, to have this conversation in itself. Like, it's a privilege to say, how independent or dependent do I want to be? Because some people have to be independent, some people have to be dependent. So, like, we should be aware of that when we're talking about independence and there's various different versions and levels to which we're talking about. Obviously, in general, I'm hoping that we come to the end and we go, it's great to be independent. But what I'd love for us to talk about is ways in which and practical things that we do or see others doing within that. So we can come away and all feel like we've got some more oomph in our step. Um, and with that, I'd like to hand over to Lolly. Um, I think when I, when I um, was thinking about the question, I reacted to it in a sense of like partners because I would describe myself as violently single. Aggressively, virulently single. So whenever I think of independence, I always think of it as me not being in a relationship. Um, and I really like flip between, like I think since I was a teenager, I've really flitted like every day between, I don't, I don't want to be in a relationship. I don't want, I, I, ugh, gross. And then the next day being like, you need a, you do need it. <laughs> it's healthy to want it. Um, and I think I've never really like settled on like what I actually want or whether I'm just thinking this is like society's pressures as to what I should be doing. Um, and I think part of that also is that like career independence, like the way that I live my life is very independent. And it's very much like I do this and I don't have to like, d like care for anyone else or do anything else for anyone else. Um, and so... I'm like quite proud of that <laughs> and don't want to let any of that go. And I see being in a relationship or like bringing someone else into my life is kind of like maybe losing some of my independence that I've like had for so long. It's very interesting. Um, which is a shame. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I definitely want to come back to that later, but thank you very much for sharing. Thank you. <laughs> Desiree? Um, so I think I probably have some uh, similar sort of reactions to the word that both of you did. Like when you uh, said the thing about your mother being like, oh, you're not afraid to be unattractive. Um, I Well, I remember uh, because like, I, you know, I have... Uh, you know, my mom's mom of four, two different husbands, was very open about her unhappiness in both of her marriages all around us growing up, you know, and, and as, you know, like, I was, like, the middle daughter, and I was, like, you know, the smart, capable one, and she was always to me, like, you know, like, keep going to school, keep doing all these things, don't ever be dependent on a man. Don't ever do what I did, what I had to do, because she had two kids and then had to find another father for those two kids when she remarried my father, and was, like, don't ever be dependent and you know along with a lot of other things just sort of my own like actual physical presence and other things in the world like you know I was like okay like I'm a smart kid I can do things for myself I'm also like the weird shy you know intellectual kid in the family like I don't have a lot of people to talk to or people to relate to like I just sort of naturally grew to be like okay I've got to work hard and really achieve and do those things and I think that um, along with you know a lot of other self-doubt I think there was a lot of like I'm not going to like why should I 
have to change myself to be with someone else when I got older. And also like, I don't want to have to be dependent. Let me get my thing together first, which when you're a performer and a comedian takes for fucking ever, you know? So at some point you're kind of like, maybe I need to not wait until I get my thing together first because that may never fucking happen, you know? Like if I had my thing together, I might not be doing this as a job. So, um, so you know? <laughs> And it's interesting because obviously I moved over here to be in a relationship and it was, you know, my first long term relationship. And like I left New York City and left my friends and left my life there, not simply for this person, but it was a confluence of like, I need to leave the city because I'm starting to hate it and hate life. And I need to go somewhere where I can do what I do. And there are a couple places in the world I can do that. And the door opened and I was like, let's go through it. But the first, you know, six months I was here was not on a visa or just as a visitor was not legally allowed to work or do anything on my own. So I had no money. I was living in my boyfriend's house, you know, like with him as a primary breadwinner or whatever, you know, and it was, and I was entirely dependent on him. And it is only recently that I'm able to like pay my fair share of things because like I'm able to do with my career because I'm only legally allowed to work as a comedian, what I can do. And so, you know, there have been several times when I've been, you know, we've been in the middle of a fight or whatever else. And I was like, how did I work so hard to do exactly the thing that my mother always told me not to do and here I am how did I wind up in the same footsteps that she trod you know and and like that's a really like painful solitary tearful moment when you realize that you're following patterns that you're just like I work so hard to break out of this pattern you know although you know having had that help has allowed me to flourish in my career so there's like a double-edged sword to that like you know especially as artists and especially as female artists a lot of you out there know it's like well if not for the support of other people I would not be here you know because I've worked in New York for 13 plus years on my own with multiple jobs not being able to do it because you can't have three jobs at once and expect one to just take off unless someone grants you the like, oh, hello, and it's usually some fucking dude, and it's usually because you're fucking hot, you know? (laughs) You know, and when you don't have all of that work, you're just like hustling all the time. So there's the, you know, like I, I have been independent. I love being independent. I don't want to necessarily make concessions, but the whole time I was single, I was also kind of like, you know, is there some part of life that I am missing out on that I don't profoundly know myself in this other way in relationship to another human being? And is this me being childish or, or selfish or insular or whatever? Like I always had those doubts about that, you know? And then of course, like most people find out, you get into a relationship and you're like, ah, the single life, you know? Just just doing what I want, answering to no one, you know? Like, why did I give that up? Like, you always want the other thing. So, you know, I have very sort of complicated relationship to independence because I feel like, yes, what women want is to be independent, but every, like, we are rewarded for dependence constantly, you know, all the time because it's, you know, like, because we live in a capitalist society and that's the way it functions on, you know, uh, a sort of um, inequity between people. And it's like, okay, if you keep doing this thing, then we'll give you what you want. And if you keep doing that other thing, well, it's going to be really hard while the rest of us in society wave at you over there, you know? So it's, you know, it's a difficult thing to want, especially when you're offered the other thing and it immediately rewards you with all these other benefits that you're just kind of like, you know, I've talked to other single independent women and we just sit around going like what we all need is a sugar daddy like we all need some guy who's 65 and gets it up once a year and like otherwise just like gives us all of his shit just for like being young that's it just for like having supple flesh you know 
I seriously had that conversation multiple times. You know, we all like laugh, and then we all like do it, and then you get that, and you're like, this is terrible, but like, I'm never leaving this asshole. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, it's difficult because we have an inequitable society that rewards certain things and, you know, a power dynamic that does so. It's hard because you're like, well, it's dependence, but everything else is afforded to me except for this one thing. Mm. But this one thing can mean everything, you know? Yeah. Thank you. It's very interesting, especially the like thinking about dependence as like, an inevitable, which I think from a practical point of view, it is, even if it's not a relationship, there are other ways, yeah. I think. Nish? I'm still reeling from the phrase, rewards you for having sup or flesh. <laughs> an outstanding bit of speaking. Um, I thought, it really is. I thought, when, when you said independence, I thought of four things. Two positive and two negative. Uh, the first positive, movie Independence Day. Great movie. <laughs> Some of Goldblum's finest work. <laughs> also, I didn't actually think of the, the American independent. I thought of the movie and then went, oh yeah, it, because of July the 4th. Um, <laughs> that was one positive thing. The other positive thing is that I think that the sort of quest for independence is like what motivates all of us constantly. Like I think that we're all sort of trying to find you know, like financial independence. And that's not necessarily even just from your parents. Like we all know there's a lot of people who seem to be the same age bracket as us. And so we know what we're fighting for is like to try and have independence from the sort of rental sector. And while there's articles being constantly written being like, you eat too many avocados. And you go, well, <laughs> point one, avocados are delicious. And point two, go fuck yourself. Right? But that, that sort of quest for independence is a really positive thing. And it can make you do really good things in financially, but also sort of in your life. I, I'm not going to say the name of it, but I went to see a show and it was fucking so shit. Like one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And at the end, all the actors have to come out and do a fucking bow. And like, I always thought the bleakest thing was the fact that they come out and they're like, oh, we're so great. The, the hardest thing I've ever had to watch in my entire life, including most documentaries, is a bunch of actors have to come out after a show that they know was terrible and look you in the eye and fucking bow. Like that was so, and I, it really made me value the independence afforded to me by my profession. Like it really, like if something is bad that I'm a stand-up comedian and if something is bad, it is 100% my fault. And I take that on the chin, but it means that I'm not participating in stuff that I don't control. So the quest for independence is something that's really positive. The two negative things were the sequel to Independence Day, which is an absolute <laughs> bag of shit. And they, they got involved Goldblum in, but even Will Smith was like, no. Yeah. That guy says yes to everything, yes. including Scientology and the film about Earth. So like, imagine how bad this was. And secondly, the quest for, the quest for independence is a really positive thing when it motivates you to try and organize your life. But I think that particularly for me, in my mid twenties, I became so obsessed with being independent, not being dependent on anyone, that it actually had a negative effect on my mental health. And I was so obsessed with not asking for help that I, and showing that I could be independent, that I, it, uh, you know, it fueled a minor nervous breakdown mm. and it's one of those things where you like because you're just so desperate to be like no I'm fine everything's fine no everything's fine of course this was the right career for me to do of course this was the right thing for me to choose yeah of course the fact that everyone is telling me to stop is not a good is a good thing that's fine. <laughs> of course it's fine I'm fine I cry all the time but that's normal like it's like it's that sort of that that quest for independence was almost like that psychotic thing of not asking for help really drove me into a sort of tight spot in my mid-20s and it's 
the it's important to for I think particularly for people who were sort of in their mid-twenties to realise that it is really great to be independent, but it's also good to ask for psychological and emotional support. And I really, we are sort of sociable creatures and it really annoys me. One of the things that annoys me most is when people say, oh, we're, you're born alone and you die alone. And you go, that is literally not true. <laughs> like, as far as I know, nobody spontaneously came into being. Like, there were hundreds of people involved in getting... Like, the doctors and nurses had to get... Forget about your mother, who... And I'll, I'll say it, it should not be able to come out of there. That is not... It's not OK that that happens, right? And also, you don't die alone because you die and then someone has to get rid of your stupid fucking corpse. Like... <laughs> We, we, it's so the, for me the quest for independence has motivated every good thing that has happened in my life and also uh, most of the bad decisions I have made have been because I was so obsessed with being seen to be independent that I didn't ask for help when it was needed mm. thank you really good I mean Will Smith mental health talking about vaginas I mean you nailed it <laughs> you absolutely nailed it um, I really like I think it's so interesting that all of you have come to the sort of, frankly, what I hoped was my twist was that <laughs> independence might not be all that it's cracked up to be or the pursuit of it. So we can just go now. <laughs> Thanks. No, I've got, I have questions, I have questions. Um, so my first question is, and I, I find it interesting, I don't think actually we necessarily cover this, like, do you, would you consider yourself to be independent? Would you take that label? Would you be happy with that? I would, yeah. Um... I think just, I think like what you said about not asking for help, I think that's really interesting that that should, like being independent is obviously a good thing, I think. And being able to like manage your independence and know that being single is a part of your independence, being able to ask for help is a part of your independence, knowing yourself is a part of your independence, um, knowing if you wanted to stop being so independent is also a part of your independence. <laughs> it's a weird riddle. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that, I would always class myself as independent and like in the back of my mind think when this stops being a good thing, I should acknowledge it and maybe be more open Yeah. and like invite dependence into my world, I guess. So beautiful. So poetic. <laughs> so good. Um, <laughs> Not enough poets at the end of their poems going, that was so poetic. <laughs> For me, what I like if we were looking at each other deep is that. <laughs> But yeah, that's <laughs> good. Desiree, would you take the word independent to be yours? Uh, yes, I would. I mean, there, it is, to me, it is complimentary because I think I grew up with a certain value for that thing, but I also feel like it would be a lie. Like, I feel like, you know, independence is in some ways something to be like achieved and like, you know, something to strive for. But at the same time, it would be a lie to like not sort of acknowledge how completely dependent I am on certain, so I mean, whatever, nicotine, alcohol, caffeine, <laughs> like food for my feelings, like all, you know, completely dependent on, yeah. you know, and also like all of the people who have helped me and continue to do so. And so, you know, uh, whether that's career wise or just, you know, emotionally, like to actually not be in the position, because, you know, I have done so as well of just like, I, I have to do this on my own. And I think we are uh, instilled with a value of like, you're supposed to pull yourself up from your own bootstraps, which like makes no sense, you know, impossible and actually a misinterpretation of that, you know, original thing. And so I uh, like, yeah, I think it's, uh, 
I think that unfortunately, because uh, valuing independence is something that we value for men, for women, for everybody. Um, I think that we don't value our interdependence enough. And mm -hmm. so like there's something about the word that we, you know, we're misconstruing what it means because we do think it means that we can't reach out for help when we need it, which is pretty much constantly, yeah. you know? And yeah, so I, I, I like the idea of it, but I believe the idea of it is a little bit falsely constructed. Great. Interdependence as well, a really useful word, I think. Yeah. Nish? Uh, yeah, I mean, I consider, I think, um, I think it's something, I hadn't really thought about this until you were, t were talking about, you, so you sort of upbringing and you kind of go, I guess my, uh, my parents are from India, which is something that I mention too often, according to certain people on <laughs> Twitter. Uh, <laughs> oh, banging on about being Asian, is it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's seeing me very well. Um, but, I think if in that situation you really come to value independence you, because you, my, your parents literally cut themselves off from their support network to sort of further your life. So I think it becomes something that's sort of instilled in you. And I think it's something that I value. And um, But also it's like I am aware that when you're a man you can engage with those issues of like, am I emotionally independent? Because structurally you're societally able to be independent in a way that women aren't. So maybe that's why you think about it from those perspectives, because it's literally not, the idea that I would have to be dependent on someone is not ingrained in me from childhood. And that, that must be a very difficult thing to sort of overcome in this sort of area. I'd like to think that I give, like I am independent and give independence within my relationship. But luckily, because of the makeup of this panel, we can find out. <laughs> he goes out with Lolly. <laughs> No. no this myth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, also, thanks for saying no so fucking quickly, Lol. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs>
voice and a point of view to a certain extent like you know because i uh, out there are some people who are like i want to piss people off and wrong foot people or whatever but it's like but we still want you to love us and clap at the end and agree with all of our opinions you know so um i don't know i, I haven't really considered independence in terms of comedy because it looks one way and it is entirely another way it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Because it is completely dependent, you know, uh, and so much of, of, at least for me, the reasonings behind it are completely dependent on what all of you think of me at all fucking times, <laughs> you know, and like, and really like craving that. At least that's what kind of gets it, a lot of us into this line of work. So it seemed, it looks like, oh, you're just one person up on stage. You must be so, you know, brave and strong. And you're like, I have a compulsion and like, I have to, you know, and like, I need you all to be here. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to breathe and sleep at night, <laughs> you know, so, so, so yeah, it's, I, I don't know, in some ways it feels so antithetical to think about independence and what we do, even though it, that's what it's meant to be. Yeah. I don't know how you guys feel about that. That would be an amazing name for a show. I need you all to be here, otherwise I won't be able to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> Nish, what do you think? Independence as a comedian? Uh, yeah, I think it can be, I think it can be a problem in some ways because, when you start out, it is just literally you and it, it's all on you and you write your material. And then what you sort of aim to do, and because you, you know, you can sort of spend three or four years doing that. The problem is then when you start to work in things like TV and radio, you have to work with other people and you go from a position where you're like, everything is, my ideas are the best ideas and everyone else just shut up. Right? <laughs> And the problem is when you start out, the only other person there is you who goes, you're a clever little boy. 
come to a position where you have to work with people, and then you, and then suddenly you, you're confronted with the reality that your ideas might not be the best <laughs> ideas. And so that's a, that's an example of where, you know, you, it, it, it can be sort of it can be a sort of tricky, you know, transitional period, and you have to sort of learn how to you have to learn how to work with people. That's why I think people who come from like a sketch or character or improv background make the transition into television more successfully because they are literally socialized human beings. Whereas especially with stand-ups, it's like you walk around on your own all day, you go to a gig on your own, on the train, you have a slightly hostile conversation with an older comedian who doesn't really respect you in the green room. <laughs> and, then, and then you go on stage on your own, you live or die on your own terms, you walk off stage, realize you've missed the last train, then have to get an awkward ride for three hours in the car with said older comedian. <laughs> who explains why everyone your age can't afford houses because you bought too many avocados. So like, but then when you get into a writing room, you have to be like, I have to relate to people, I have to understand the sort of other opinions in the room. That can be a sort of complicated transition. I want to ask the question of you as well, but within sort of opening it up to, so obviously a lot of people, most of in this room will have traditional, quote unquote, traditional careers, where to an extent you have to fit yourself. I believe you sort of make choices, obviously you're, decisions for your job, which is part of your job, but also part of that is making choices about how you're seen. So certain choices, I think especially for women, you not only are you saying, I want to lead this project, you're letting people know I'm the sort of woman who wants to lead projects, which is kind of a mm. crazy double thing. And so I've been reading a lot about how, I, I just, I think there's these grooves that we all sort of slot into now and then because they're accepted ways to be a woman. And one of them apparently is mama bear. Um, and that's what you can do if you're a woman who wants to be in charge and make things happen. You have to pretend or believe, but pretend that you're doing it for your team. You're like, oh, I'm doing this for my team. I'm the mother bear. My team needs to do well. But if it's for you, everyone's like, you're a horrible bear. You're not a mama bear at all. <laughs> and so there's, like, there's this space for types of uh, emotions in women, but you have to slot, you have to do it for the right reason. You have to deal with your appearance all the time and how you're being like, seen as well as what you're doing. Oh, a lot of thinking. And so I, I want to ask Lolly just within that framework, that question again, like as a comedian, do you feel like you're dealing with appearances and when you're making those decisions. Yeah, I think like, um, because like I, I'm, like you said, like not in a sketch group or anything, and I'm also a black woman. Um, I feel like I always want to like- black woman. <laughs> <laughs> like, Super black. And single. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Lolly, I can't believe you keep going on about your race, Jesus. And I'll never stop. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I'm not sure if I've like made up this pressure in my head, but I'm sure it exists where I always want to seem like I am independent because of all of those reasons. And I never want to seem like I'm like dependent on like my race or like other things that make me who I am. Um, so I always like try and present this idea that like, I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I don't need anything. Oh my God, what? You need things. That's so lame. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> because I want people to, to look at me as a black woman and think like, oh, she doesn't, she doesn't like feel the need to depend on a guy or mm. um, anything else. Um, and I remember when I, when I first started doing comedy, I remember thinking th this is, might be like a very horrible job because the whole time all I'm thinking about is me and the jokes I'm gonna write and the gig I'm gonna do that evening. Whereas most people in their normal lives will go to, go to work and like do things for other people and think about other people. And yet all day, all we're thinking about is ourselves. And I was like, <laughs> ooh. So I think I have to try and like, like have that independence in my career and then use like dependence in other parts of my life. So like friendships and like family and stuff. Otherwise I think I'll just go mad. Just only thinking about myself all day. 
Yeah, well, it's interesting that independence is selfish, but it's not. Mm, but it's, yeah. it's sort of it kind of people often use it as a synonym, I think, for yeah. selfish yeah, yeah. or at least self-focused. Um, so we've sort of talked about, about careers and just wanted to briefly talk about emotional labor, which some of you will know it's, it's, it's very hot in the feminist communities right now. A lot of boards talking about it. A lot of Refinery29 articles on it, if you want to look that up. <laughs> Jokes for three women in the room. Um, but basically, emotional labor has been around for a very long time. It's this um, concept about the, uh, well, it's come to mean the um, invisible second shift. This idea that when traditionally women as, as carers or traditionally women are seen as natural carers, so when they come home, it's an expectation that they will figure out what needs to be done or not just do it. And a way, a sort of very middle class way of explaining it is who buys the birthday cards? Like who in your relationship is like, I must buy that birthday. It's that lady who just laughed. It's that lady who just laughed. Who is the person in the relationship who's like, oh, well, it's her birthday next week, I will buy a card. Like that sort of thing. But actually, interestingly, emotional labor as a concept came from service industries. And it was a way of understanding how People in, weirdly, the, uh, the example used all the time is air hostess. <laughs> People are like, but that I think is how you really understand it is that it became someone's job to emotionally control you and or give you emotional gratification, to be nice, basically. And I remember reading this a while ago and thinking, wow, capitalism is so good at what it does because like I had never considered the idea that expecting people in the service industries to be polite, obviously nice is fine thing, but to be like your emotional support is not what they're being paid for. And there's an expectation, I think, especially with women to continue that emotional management all the way through their careers. So not only are you again making your decisions, but you're making decisions that don't hurt other people's feelings. And I think you can really understand it within the sort of the service industries. Is comedy part of the service industry? My question to you, do you feel like when you're on stage, you're not only doing the things that you want to do, but you're also kind of emotionally managing people and also to get moved away from comedy do you see that in your personal lives I mean uh, well I feel like uh, a lot of times as comedians we kind of uh, obviously I, I, well, I don't know about you guys but obviously you know if I'm writing material trying to craft a set or whatever it is you know obviously I am thinking about my audience I'm thinking about is this the best way to communicate what is in my head to these people so they see what I see I'm thinking about like what does this room look like and what are like how do I get into stuff without like freaking them out or what like how do I take all these people on the same journey and a lot of times they do not help you know because they've come in like drunk entitled on their phone like just like you owe me something I paid three quid to get in this room <laughs> and like you know it's like you know but, like the language in comedy is also aggressive and battle orientated because it is this sort of like okay we're doing battle even though all I want to do is make you feel better about all of our shitty lives and then like you know like take my little bit of money and go home um, but I think that a lot of times you know we I find that other comics have these conversations about like you know, how much are you meant to capitulate to your audience and where they want to go? You know, because in some way, you know, I've also done education work and it's kind of like, um, I came to take you to a certain place and to say certain things about myself because like, that's me being whatever, like a brave conscious person in the universe is like, I've got experiences and I've got insight that I think is important enough to be shared with other people because I think we all grow from that. And also like, I want you to laugh, you know? And so like, how much do I need to like there should be this balance of give and take, I feel like. It's not all just me like going like, take it, you know, and it's not all me, like, which some people do in their performance and you can feel it and you're like, oh, you got it all over us, like stop. You know? 
<laughs> absolutely, you got, you've seen it. You, they absolutely do. And you're like, that's not what this is for. Like, just, you know, be a Hollywood producer. And then you could do that. Yeah. Um, too soon, too soon, too late. It's too fucking late. <laughs> Honestly. Um, <laughs> you know, like, there is this balance. But I think that, you know, we struggle with, like, how much are we meant to be a clown and make you happy? And, you know, because sometimes you get more respect or more ears or more fo focus when you're like, actually, shut the fuck up and listen because everybody else hates you, like, as much as I do, you know, to that one person who decides it's about them in that moment. Or, you know, the audience is just kind of like, well, we're from this posh place and we don't want to hear about your ethnicity because that's not us. And you're like, uh, you think, but like, we're human. Let me tell you about it. You know? So it's, I don't, I, I don't know. Now I've lost the fucking question. Um, <laughs> so easy to do so many words. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think there is a, there is an emotional labor struggle and just in like the real world, like, you know, talking about flight attendants and other people like, yeah. you know, like, like everything before you see that flight attendant is built in to make like shake you down of any semblance of being human mm -hmm. having any rights like you're going to show up like pissed off and it's just like oh like they'll give you like a free water and a juice and like make magic happen so you don't take this plane down you know <laughs> and so like I, that is like an extra amount of weight put on certain people you know and in certain industries like you're just going to get pissed off people because of everything that the sort of capitalist overstructure has like, you know, mm -hmm. made them go through to be there. And then you've got to be the ones to be like, oh, but it's still worth it. Like, you know, we, we offered this flight for like, you know, 10 pounds because, you know, like that kind of thing where it's like, you're putting a lot of pressure on certain people in certain sectors to like make up for what you've taken away yes. you know, to cut all the corners. True. And also what I didn't say, but I think you're coming around to it, is that like those are traditionally the not the best paid roles. Yeah. So we expect yeah. people who are not being paid the most to treat us the best. Yeah. Which is a very interesting thing. And that very interesting to think about how the audience is a sort of version of the you know, plane journey. You know, yeah. we're getting on a journey, guys. Yeah. I'm in charge. I am in charge. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Please I am in charge. Um so Nish, do you think you use emotional labor in your comedy? Do you engage yeah, with mean, the audience in that way? I think what you said is exactly right. It's it's such an odd mixture of like this is what I think. Do you like it? Like, it's that, <laughs> such a weird, like, sort of mixture of, like, it's it, the whole job is such a weird mixture of outright self-confidence and a sort of coquettishness, like, in, <laughs> intermingled within it. Like, it's it's a really odd thing. Because you're literally like, this is the right answer. This is the only way to look at this thing. You're all idiots if you don't see it this way. You think? <laughs> but if you don't, I'll change it tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really, it's so difficult, especially the way that I have a very sort of laborious writing process where I will just literally, you know, try something, it doesn't work. I can't, there are some people who are able to sort of write things out and know where the funny stuff, I, I don't do that. And I, it's, it's a, but it's an odd mixture. I think what I've discovered in the last couple of months, without wishing to bring the mood down too far, uh, is that I think women in comedy are doing considerably more emotional labor than men in comedy. Mm -hmm. Because you, all of this, the Louis C.K. stuff, all of that shit, the stuff that's coming out amongst lots of sort of Irish female comics at the moment are sort of talking a lot about these issues mm -hmm. that are done. And what, what this, you know, because I think men in comedy want to believe that we participate in like this like liberal kind of, you know, like it's just super, like it's equal and it's free. And what we're all discovering is like the whole time everything that we've been doing there's like an extra 75% of shit that female comedians have been dealing with and whether it's like 
a specific type of online trolling, weird sexual comments on the internet. And then like all of this stuff where, you know, again, I talk about like independence, but that is a male comedian's privilege because female comedians don't have the same level of independence because there are promoters that you can't work with because that you know he's going to try and mm. pull a move on you. There are people you don't want to be on the bill at gigs with because that is, you know, that guy is fucking masturbating in front of people behind backstage. Like, and that's just a layer of emotional labour that is completely taken out of our equation. And it's, it's very, uh, it's been a very sort of chastening few weeks for men in comedy because I think we had all sort of tricked ourselves. And again, I think we all knew. I feel like I knew at the back of my mind, but just didn't want to believe that I was living in a system that was just as bad as everything else. We all think that comedy is sort of above it somehow, but it just turns out that comedy is as fucked up as everything else. In a way, worse. Because yeah. you have people on stage saying these things and then coming off stage and doing Absolutely. the same thing. Yeah. And I always think it's that horrible thing where, you know, like subtle sexism is so is sometimes much worse than outright sexism. Because outright sexism, you can be like, like you absolutely shouldn't be saying that. And I think we all agree. But like the subtle sexisms, the, the thing that you might be backstage having just seen a guy do something like that to you and then go on stage and talk about how great you know, liberalism is. It, it, it's such a, it's a, it's more than just an annoying thing. It's like a paradox that you then live in. Yeah. And then you're this person who is a victim of a person who no one could ever believe, like Louis C.K. would be that kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Show. No, no, I think it's important. And I think it would be remissive to have this conversation at this time and not talk about it. Yeah. And actually, I, I sort of, it's interesting because I do think we language is such an important relationships let's just talk specifically about relationships yeah. like we've we've really touched upon it um and i think it's not just your your romantic relationships obviously a lot of dependence and interdependence is around marriage that's i mean in a way i'm not surprised we're all so confused if you think about it like the history of marriage is coverture literally like marrying a woman to own her like that's where marriage comes from and you know obviously we now live in a world where marriage has become a different thing i'm not here to say you shouldn't get married at all. I, I feel like we just shouldn't feel like there are any shoulds or shouldn'ts because we're still so much in the moment of change. Like I think a lot of us, because just because of the way that popular culture talks about things, it's like it's set, it's done, you should have figured it out by now. But we're so within the history of figuring out what it means to be married or not be married. You know, as I said, it wasn't until 1975 until you didn't need your husband to sign off on a bank account. You know, it wasn't until 1982 that you could go into a pub and not be refused service as a single woman. One year into Margaret Thatcher's reign. Reign. I said reign. <laughs> Political. Back into the politics. So, you know, like, I, I only use those sort of slightly depressing uh, dates to make us realise that we're in it right now. So it's kind of exciting. And, you know, we feel like there's all these movements around us and we should feel part of those movements and we shouldn't feel like history's been written because we can write it ourselves. And I, I think with relationships, that's a specifically very spicy little area for that sort of politic. Um, and I, we, I actually had an email from someone who's here, and she was talking about how uh, she has worried that she went to lots of weddings and lots of women were described as independent, and she's never heard a man be described as independent. And she was wondering whether or not, outside of that, we sort of we value women for being into independent she now worries that she's missed out on opportunities almost like you were talking about to have certain relationships or even take certain jobs because there's an implication of dependence but who was she winning against herself 
So there's, you know, that's, I think, a sort of very nicely way of sort of distilling our conversation. And so I think relationships, I'm not going to ask you, Nish, because that would be too real. But um, do, you, do you think that there is such a thing as uh, an independent relationship? Maybe I should ask you. <laughs> I don't want to give you special treatment. Oh, this is so tough. Um, this is so tough. I just ask everyone, if you want to say anything, you want to say something, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Um, do you think there's such a thing as independence in a relationship? And can you, could you have that, do you think? Um, I was talking to Lou Sanders about this yesterday, actually. And we were talking about how, because she was talking about energy leaking and how what we're both trying to do at the moment is to like, be ourselves in our power as we were describing it and then when in a relationship with someone or liking someone it's like a bonus it's not like mm. we're giving all of ourselves to that person and then losing who we were before um so i haven't worked out how to do it yet but sure. <laughs> i think that there is a way that once you are like settled in your independence and the like limits of that independence you can then um just to be poetic you can be two holes rather than two halves <laughs> yeah yeah Thank you. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it's, it's a very lovely saying, actually. <laughs> Thank you, Lolly, for sharing. I feel like we want to do like the poetry clap, which is everyone going, <laughs> I understood it. Not smiling, <laughs> yeah. Not smiling yet. Uh, Desiree, do you think? Um, I'm just still thinking about the phrase two holes in my head. <laughs> so much, so much. Um, so, uh, I, okay, so um, I think uh, just hearing all this, it is, um, it is possible, I think, that we don't necessarily have a lot of um, good models for that person. I mean, you know, if you grew up in a certain kind of household where that is the way things worked, then you are very lucky and you have a model right in front of you. But most of us don't necessarily have that model because it is, as you've said, um, you know, if you have or grew up in, with, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know if it's only heterosexual parents, you know, because I have uh, at least gay male friends in relationships that face the same sort of, you know, dependence and interdependent sort of dynamics. But um, I think that, you know, marriage and that kind of institution is based on ownership and is based on money. Money is a real factor when it comes to even feeling independent in your own uh, relationship, in your own mind, you know, because of what we because of, you know, your ability to trust that this person is going to not just sort of like throw you into the wind if you decide that you don't agree with them or, you know, that like this isn't the way it's going to work and that kind of thing. You feel like you don't necessarily have any leverage unless you literally are like hiding your own, um, you know, squirreling away. Like there's this great phrase. Um, I think it's like a Yiddish phrase. I can't remember, but it was like a woman, a wife should never show her husband her old ass. Or something like that, where it's like, like don't let him see everything, and it was kind of about like always have something for yourself just in case, kind of thing. And I mean, it's but like it feels like you know, oh, like that's not necessarily a complete level of trust. But then again, like how much do you know anyone, and how much do you actually go into that trust? You know, like that's sort of part of the process of being in a relationship with someone that it takes years to kind of be able to be like, you know, like I trust you, and I think that's that's part of the difficulty of wanting independence and also you know these relationships whether they're romantic whether they're a sort of like in work and whatnot is just sort of you know 
it is easy to have that trust betrayed, you know, and then suddenly you're completely exposed. So um, uh, I think that money makes it difficult. I definitely found myself acting in different ways when I was not uh, financially capable of taking care of myself because I didn't feel like I had as many choices. I didn't feel like I could say as many things. I didn't, you know, because I didn't have the option of being like, fuck this, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of times that's really important in a relationship of like, look, like you, we either need to come here or it's over. And like, and if you can't do that, then you're kind of like, well, I guess maybe a little bit more, you know? And so I think that um, it's important to see those two holes like in a relationship modeled, you know, in our media, in our sort of, you know, communities and whatnot of like, these two people don't have to be together. They choose to be together, mm -hmm. um, you know, and whether that's within a marriage or outside of it, which I think can also be really cool because even financially, you're not necessarily fully together. And that does take a re-upping of the commitment over and over again, which I think is kind of cool. Um, it's just so hard to see it outside the paradigm of, of money. You know, because a lot of a lot of our independence is defined on that. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think interesting, we should always be aware that like a lot of this conversation is based on the inherent privilege of saying I could walk away from some point. And a lot of that comes from education, a certain amount of financial support, maybe from your parents or, you know, some sort of bigger thing, which just basically means that sometimes these conversations are not uh, choices that people have. That's a really interesting point, only because I, you know, I, I know that, like, for example, when my uh, my aunt had no way of, you know, she, there wasn't that option of, like, if it, you know, mm. if there's a problem, you know, it's that it's like a heat where it's like if you, you should always be free to walk away the second you, that's what Robert De Niro says in heat. He's like, <laughs> the second you feel the heat coming around the corner. And, like, with my aunt, that, that was just not an option, like, mm. in any way, shape or form. And, but what she did is that she, like a lot of the, a lot of the women that I'm related to are cycle breakers, you know? And like, like your mum, because it's exactly the same. She was like, she, she never wanted her daughter, she has a daughter and a son, she never wanted her daughter to be dependent on someone. And you know, her daughter is like a consultant dermatologist and she is very happily married, but she has complete autonomy. And that's sometimes what those kind of, those are real pioneers, that generation of people who went through that s cycle of shit and then raised their girls in a completely different way. And that people like your mum and my aunt are like, like they, those are cycle breakers. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful phrase, cycle breaker, because yeah. I think as we come to a close, I think that's what I would like us to all take away is that independence can mean many different things. Of course it can. I mean, when we were, I was writing the questions, I was like, I mean, it's just feminism. Just the whole thing again. <laughs> just, I've just chosen the biggest topic. But in a way, actually, when it comes down to it, it's, that is kind of the issue with uh, independence for individuals. It's, it can mean so many things. It can often mean what you're told it should mean. So you have to find your own individual version of independence. And Often within that, it is about the cycle breaking. It's not similarly. It's the, so I always say that feminism for me is like a sort of like a life raft in that it's a place to rest in the stormy seas of this world. Because you take a moment and it's, it, what it tells you is that it's not about you. It's not you, Amy Annette, who people are angry with. I've chosen angry with. But, you know, it's not you, Amy Annette, who is the problem. It's your, uh, your gender. That's what is the issue there for you. So as an individual, as a human within that, if you can find a space to take a breath with feminism, which tells you that this is a systemic thing, 
And you know, I think there's Audre Lorde who said, like, we can't expect, we can't use the master's tools to bring down the master's house. And that's really important. You can't use the tools that you're necessarily, you have to create your own tools. Join me in thanking the wonderful Lolly Adetope, Deirdre Burt, Dinesh Kumar, I'm Amy Annette. See you later. So, are we any closer to finding out what women want? I hope not. We've got a bunch more shows coming out. One quick post-show factoid check. Independent taxation came in 1990, not 1991. So still depressing, but one year less depressing. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, subscribe and share. It makes such a difference in my ongoing journey to top Mel Gibson when you Google what women want. Thank you to producer Zach Annette and to radio legend Shola Alege for helping. Music is by The Artisans by Gemendo Publishing. What Women Want is going to Edinburgh this year. We will be at the Pleasance for six dates only, Saturdays and Sundays in August 2019. Go to the Pleasance website to get your tickets. I would love to see you there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.